Hey everyone, welcome back for a new episode of What's Good here. Greg Meskel here with you. Thanks for joining us uh, today. A guest that I've I've enjoyed the work of for uh, for a long time. Uh, cartoonist. If you live in the New York City area, you definitely saw his stuff at one point in the New York Daily News. Ed Murawinski. Ed, thanks for being here. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for uh, asking me. I was Ed, I uh, want to start when we're going to dive into everything you've drawn and all the illustrations, but I want to start with your start with the New York Daily News. And you look at your website and your bio and it says, the modern day person might not know what this job is, but you started as a copy boy back with the Daily News uh, way back when. What what was your entry into the newspaper world? How did you hook on with the Daily News? All right. Well, it was I was really really lucky. Um, my brother's friend's father worked for the Chicago Tribune Syndicate, which owned the Daily News at the time. And um, I had started. I went to arts. I was going to art school, School of Visual Arts in Manhattan, and um, he knew that I liked to draw. He actually gave me like some drawing a drawing table and things. So he got me. Um, I think that whole summer before I went to, you know, went to work, uh, I just drew all day, you know, so I really figured that was what I wanted to do, I guess. And then he got me into, uh, he got me a job as a copy boy, which in those days, there were over a hundred copy, copy boys only really when I was there. Um, girls came in a little later, but, uh, you know, so he just said, put them on the bench. So there was a bench, you sat on the bench, somebody yelled copy, you went and you did whatever they told you to go get coffee bring this copy, has a, you know, now you just send a, a story to another desk electronically. We were the, we were the ones who transferred everything, you know, so you took it from the, from the reporter to the, uh, to the copy desk, to wherever it had to go. You, you know, it, it was so many different things to do. It was, it was really, it was really a hectic place, you know, it was, uh, and we were the gophers, you know, we did whatever they wanted us to do, you know. Um, so I got, I was a copy boy for about, uh, maybe close to a year. And then I actually, I was a copy, but then I got a job as a clerk in the art department, which is basically a copy boy in the art department. <laughs> um, uh, but that, that job was a little different where you had to uh, log all the photos that went down to the engraving room to where it was, you know, processed. Uh, you had to log it in. Uh, you had to have these um, wire machines that sent the wire photos over. They would like, just like a, almost like a, um, a Xerox machine almost, but you know, and you had to change the chemicals and you had to do so many different things. You had to bring uh, papers to everybody's desk, all the artists' desks. I mean, there were tons of artists, retouchers, photo retouchers, uh, linemen. They called them linemen when they did like little cartoons or any kind of illustration. And it was just, it was a, it was a great place. And um, they must have had, I don't know, 50 artists. And, you know, when I, le when I left, I was about the only one left. So it was like one or two and that was it, yeah. you know. So it really changed over the years, but um. So, so in I, those in those early days of, of that of that copy boy world, is there uh, is there a memorable moment, something that stands out, you know, kind of a thing that you you know you said you're kind of running all over the place? Is is there a favorite story or two? I have one. My favorite. And I've told many people this that during the uh, 69-70 season, the Knicks were you know in the championship series, and. I came in on a Sunday, I think I worked weekends, I came in early on a Sunday morning, and I was told that uh, you're gonna go to, uh, they used to give you a car, a radio car, drive out to um, uh, Butler Aviation, which was part of, I think it was part of LaGuardia Airport. Um, and uh, the news had planes at that time, also they had two planes. So I got, I got over to Butler Aviation, hopped on a little like six passenger plane, 
flew down to Baltimore and my job was to get the film from the first quarter, uh, bring it back to the airport and come back to New York and give it back to the office, you know, so they could process it. And that's, you know, look what happens today. You know, everything is just yeah. <laughs> instantly. So that was, that was how we did it. So I got there, I was surprised. So I, I got down there and there were two photographers and one guy, uh, I won't mention his name because he sort of pissed me off a little bit, but uh, he said, you're gonna, you're gonna sit here. We got there like early, maybe like 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. The game wasn't until like two. Yeah. He goes, you're gonna sit here and watch the equipment. So they sat me in this room and I had to watch their equipment where they went out and whatever they did, had breakfast or beers or whatever, you know? So that annoyed me a little bit. So when the game started, the first quarter ended, he gave me a, roll, a couple of rolls of film. I had to run it back to the airport. And I was supposed to hop on the plane back to New York. But I was not going to like miss the opportunity to see this whole Knicks versus the Bullets. You know, Earl Monroe played with Bullets. The Knicks, you know, they had all the great players. So uh, I, uh, I sort of told the, the pilot, I said, yeah, they want me back at the, at the arena. Um, he goes, yeah, okay, no problem. You know, he can drop it off. So I go back. I had a hard time getting back in because all I had was a messenger's pass. And the security guys were giving me a hard time. I said, look, I, you know, I'm from New York. I don't know what's going on. You know, I played dumb. They finally let me in. So I got in. I stayed on the side of the court uh, for the rest of the game, watched the whole game. The Knicks lost, actually. I think Earl Monroe had like 50 points or something. And I go back to the uh, press room after it's all over. And now I got to go back to New York with the photographers. And one of the photographers looks at me and goes, what the hell are you doing here? You know, I said, well, you know, I don't know. I thought I was supposed to come back. You know, I, I acted you know, like I didn't know what was going on. So anyway, the, the, the best part about that was that I got to see the game and then we got a ride back to the airport on the Knicks bus. Oh, so nice. I'm, I'm waiting to get on the bus with all the players and Don May, who was a rookie at the time, he played at Dayton and uh, I'm right behind him. And he turns around and looks at me, he goes, you know, this isn't a city bus, you know? And uh, <laughs> I go, yeah, I know, I know. You know, it's like, I, I was you know, sort of intimidated by it all, but. So I got on the bus, sat down, Dave DeBusher and Bill Bradley were sitting right next to me across the aisle. And it was just, it was just so much fun. You know, it was, uh, that was probably the highlight of my copy boy career anyway, you know. Uh, and you're, and you're how old at this time? I was just, I just turned 18. Uh, yeah, when I started, I was 17. So I turned 18 November of 69. So I was just, just turned 18. Yeah, so that's, you know, for, for someone who grew up in the area, right? I mean, it's hard to it's hard to pick a better moment than being oh on God. the Knicks bus during the playoffs. Exactly. And I was such a big Knicks fan, you know, when and then they went on to win the championship. And I remember just listening to the games. I don't know if you remember uh, the sixth game or the fifth, the fifth game, uh, Willis Reed got hurt. Sure. And uh, they made a big comeback. Dave Stallworth and Kazzy Russell made all these. I was listening to, and you couldn't even see it on TV. It was all on the radio. Marv Albert, you know, doing it. And I was going crazy, you know. And then uh, the Knicks lost the sixth game. And then that, the seventh game was when Willis Reed came out, hit the first two shots, limping. And they went on and Frazier had a great game and they beat the Lakers uh, in the championship. And uh, it was, it was, you know, I was, I was a big Nick fan for years, you know. I'm not such a big Nick fan anymore, but, you know, uh, it was cool. It was a lot. Yeah, that's a and, and that's a fascinating story. Um, so just 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 for my own uh, edification. So does the pilot? He takes the film in for you, and you just kind of trust him to do the job. Yeah, well, he could you know call up and they'll have another copy boy come out in the car and just pick it up and bring it back. Wow. You know, so you know he'll he'll deal with it. You know, he was, a, <laughs> he was cool about it. 
and the other photographer, there was two photographers. One guy was a little pissed off. Me. I won't mention his name. Yeah. But this other guy, George Matson, just looked at me and sort of winked and he goes, you know, I know that's cool. You know, so, you know, it was, it was no skin off their teeth. You know, it was just, uh, I just didn't want to miss that opportunity. And yeah. I sort of felt like I had to wait like three or four hours just sitting around doing nothing, you know, while they're out eating and, you know, whatever. You know, there's a lot of drinking in those days, but I don't know. <laughs> I know you read every, every story you read of, uh, you know, the journalists in the, in the 60s and 70s. It's, we had about five beers at lunch and then we came back okay. and we saw the shoot around and. Well, you know, we, were, we had to bring the, uh, after the first edition, you'd have proofs of all the pages, which were, you know, just printouts. And your one of your jobs is to bring them to the old Seidelberg where all the editors were already at the bar. And they went and they mocked it up and then, all right, bring this back to them. That's how things got done, you know? And they were at the, and it was just, I mean, there were people drank at the, at the, um, at the desks and, uh, but you got the work done, you know? It was always the work came first and, you know, it was, I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of drinking in those days. <laughs> now you weren't destined to be a copy boy, right? You're going to school, you know, art, art school, you have this other passion. A lot of people go through this, right? Where they where they want to get their foot in the door, they get a job, but the job they have is not the job they want at the place they're at. How are you kind of saying, like, yeah, I'm doing copy boy, I'm the art clerk, but hey, by the way, look at this thing that I drew or this thing that I can do. How are you trying to weave in your your real goal to what you're currently doing? Well, I gotta admit that, you know, when I first started, I didn't I know I like to draw, but I didn't know where that would lead, you know. And I was lucky to get a job as a copy boy through this man who was a friend of ours. Um, and that led into, you know, I did, I used to doodle and, and draw things as a copy boy and stuff. And they knew I liked art basically. And um, so they, you know, I got a job as the clerk in the art department, but it wasn't another maybe five years before I became an apprentice. And there was uh, photo retouching. We did a lot of photo retouching. Um, that's when I, that's what I started to do. Um, and I sort of learned on the job cause I had never done that with airbrush and, you know, it used to take the photo and, you know, either, you know, enhance the background or, you know, black out the background, things like that. So it would reproduce better in the paper. Um, and then your job was to, uh, I did map. Then I, they put me on maps. I did a lot of maps. Um, and my first job is doing maps was the, there was a, a transit strike in Manhattan, in New York. And I had to draw, you know, all the boroughs in Long Island. And the first edition came out and I, it turns out I had mixed up Nassau and Suffolk, which I didn't know where it was anyway, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they told me, this is not, this is that, you know, so. And I did that for quite a few years. And uh, then I started, uh, I would do little cartoons here and there, you know, they'd have little, like a story would come in, you need a little art cartoon for this. And and I was always interested in sports. So um, there was a guy, Bob Decker, who was an uh, assistant sports editor. He liked my work and he convinced my editors, my uh, bosses to transfer me into the sports department as a, like a dedicated artist for the sports department. And um, he gave me really the opportunity to, to develop my work. And, and I did back pages and I did illustrations and I did everything, laid out pages, you know, you did everything. You didn't just, I didn't just draw things. Um, but that was, you know, to me, that was like a dream job. You know, I'm working in a sports department, you know, drawing and, you know, what could be better than that, you know? You know, yeah, next some of your work behind you. I'm and, sorry? And no, I was going to say, in your in your shot here, for those that are watching, we can see some of the things you've drawn in the past. Your your style, right, is 
exaggerating some of the features of some of the people that you uh, draw about. Was that always the way that you did it? How did you settle into that style? I, yeah, I always did, I guess, car caricature, which, you know, uh, that's what my specialty was, I guess, you know. Um, I was never good at um, drawing real life, you know what I mean? I always exaggerated things. And I did, even from high school, I would do, I went to Catholic high school, and we had Christian brothers. I remember doing like a little, uh, like a little magazine, you know, that I, I did different, like, cartoons and things. And so I always drew, you know, it was, uh, um, but I always did, you know, like cartoons and caricature was my, my specialty, basically. So whenever I had a chance to use my caricature uh, talents, I guess, you know, I did that. And they seemed to like it. You know, I did a lot of, a lot of you know, these, um, you know, sp all sports, you know, whatever, whatever happened in those days, you know, like I said, Bob Decker was the sports editor or assistant sports editor, gave me a chance to do some back pages. I did, uh, I think the first one I did was when the Mets clinched uh, in 86, they clinched the pennant. Um, and we had done, uh, David Johnson was the manager and we had done leading up to it, um, the magic number. So the magic number was, you know, 10, five, blah, blah, blah. And it was always a rabbit in, in the hat or something, right? Uh, and then the back page was uh, David Johnson. I drew the rabbit jumping out of the hat, giving David Johnson a high five. And that was, you know, clinch. It was clinch, I think was the headline. And uh, that was one of the first, if not the first one, but one of the first ones I did. And uh, I've done, you know, many, many since then. So uh, what was, was an, you, you know, what was an early one, or maybe it was that one where you felt like people started to, to recognize what you were doing? Was it maybe a smaller drawing or one of the back covers where it's not just the Daily News staff, and you know, maybe now you're hearing from a friend from school or someone else who's like, Ed, I saw this, this is awesome. Yeah, basically it was just people, um, you know, I never really paid attention to, you know, who knew what I did or, or you know, what kind of, you know, I just did it as a job, you know what I mean? And I think the one time I know, actually I filled in for uh, the editorial cartoonist, uh, uh, Paul Rigby, who uh, worked at the news. He took a vacation. So this was years later, maybe in the 90s. And... Um, uh, so the, the executive editor asked me to fill in for him and I had never done, uh, editorial cartoons before. And I did it for like two weeks and it was like the most intense thing that I've ever done because you, you just think you're thinking all the time about it. You know what I mean? Like you got to do one day, then what am I going to do the next day? You know, it was just, you know, current events and things. So one thing I did, uh, I did this cartoon of, uh, George Bush, Oh, when uh, Spike Lee had his movie, uh, Malcolm X, mm -hmm. if you remember, he told, he made a statement, he told the kids to stay out, stay away from, uh, don't go to school, come and see the movie, right? So I did a, and this was the time I think Bush was campaigning to, for re-election. And uh, I did a, I did a cartoon of him, like leaving the White House or just coming out of the White House with a uh, uh, big bucket of popcorn and tickets to see Malcolm X. And then Barbara Bush is right behind him and said, no, 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 you're going to work today. You're not taking off. <laughs> and actually uh, Spike Lee called up and he wanted the original. And uh, I, I gave it to him. Uh, I actually missed his call. I think he had called up personally and I had missed it somehow. And then his representative called up and we worked it out. But uh, 
then when I when that happened, I said, you know, other people looking at this stuff, not just uh, you know, because with the newspaper, it's like, all right, it's in there one day, then you go on to the next day. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like a movie where you know everyone's going to see it. They see it one day. You know, the news cycle, I guess, is you know what yeah. they. Uh, so there's always something new. You know, what's that process like for the assignment? So someone says we need we need a back cover that speaks to this do they give you a general ballpark and then it's up to you to kind of make it happen or do you get very specific notes of what they're looking for yeah no i i when i did like say a back page uh or a front page um well i guess the most famous thing i did i did a front page of um newt gingrich when he there was a story where he was uh on the back of the plane, Clinton's plane, and uh, Clinton like disrespected him, or Clinton didn't pay attention to him, and he got pissed off, and he shut down the government. And that was like this guy Lars Eric Nelson overheard him say this, and then it got back to the news. You know, Lars uh, reported it, and my editor came over and he goes, "We need a, we need a cover," and um, so I did. And his he had the headline. His headline was "Crybaby," like he's you know whining because they did him in a diaper with the bottle, and he was you know whining and crying and the next day they had blown up a big copy of it in the in the house i believe the senator of the house i think it was the house because uh, schumer was in the house at that time and they were you know using it as a as an example this look what this guy's doing you know and they actually voted it off the floor they said it was un unpresidential or it wasn't it wasn't right to do something you know which you know compared to the things that go on today but uh but that got a lot of play you know that got a lot of uh you know, I got a lot of calls from radio stations and, and, uh, um, and that was the funny story, but that was that it happened late at like sort of towards the end of the day. And I was about to take Michael, my son, Michael to the a Nets game. We had tickets to the Nets game. So I was going to get out sort of early, pick him up. So one of the editors came over and goes, we got this assignment. You got to do this. And I said, you know, I can't, I have to, I have to go, I'm going to the net game, you know, and this guy, Bob Sapia was the editor and, and, after he told me it was, I knew I had to do it, but I sort of like, sort of played it. I said, no, I can't do it. I have to, he goes, you got to do this. You know, no, you got to do this, you know, because he got it from the top, you know? So yeah. uh, of course I did it. And my brother took my son to the game. And uh, the next day it was, uh, it was, uh, it was all over the place really. So that was probably the most notorious thing or whatever you want to call it, you know, most publicity or whatever that I had received for anything, you know? Um, but as far as, you know, that was a specific, you know, I want, I want this guy as a crybaby. And it yeah. was up to me to draw him, you know, with the diaper. I have it around here somewhere. Um, if, you, if you want me to find it, I could find it and show it to you. But, uh, um, but then you talk about that kind of specific assignment and then how you actually draw stuff. So, for example, like a new Gingrich, you know, let's say, for example, you weren't super familiar with what he looked like, or you get something else where you only have a passing knowledge. Are you pulling photos? How are you oh, gathering yeah. the reference materials to yeah, then get always, into yeah, drawing? Always, always reference when, uh, you know, when you, when I draw someone as a caricature, I need the reference to, you know, try to get an expression or, um, and I can sort of take it wherever it goes. But um, yeah, there's always reference. Um, these days, even video, because, you know, some pictures, won't look like someone, you know what I mean? But Nuke English is pretty well, he had good features to caricature, you know what I mean? He, he had, you know, the big head and, the, you know, 
he was like perfect to caricature. So he was relatively easy. I only think took me a couple hours to do it. And it was just a picture of him and that was it. And then they put it on the front page. But um, other times, you know, there, you know, there were more people, you know, more people involved. Like, and sometimes the editors don't understand the process or how long it takes. They'll say, uh, all right, we, well, you know, we got this story about the Yankees. And uh, so, you know, do A-Rod over here and then do the crowd behind them. You know, the crowd, and I go, what do you mean the crowd? I can't draw the crowd in, you know, three hours for the edition. <laughs> you know, give me a little time, but they don't get it. Sometimes they don't get it, you know? So uh, most of the time what I did was it was deadline stuff. So it was like, you know, I had that night to do it. And uh, as the years went on, I got to work at home a lot. So they would call me up and, you know, I could get started a little earlier. You know, I would save the travel and things like that. So, um, and then it was sometimes that I did like things in advance. Um, like we knew something was going to happen and I had a, maybe a few days to do something, which, you know, I could put a little more effort into it. And, uh, and, uh, but mostly it was like my, my sort of my execution of their ideas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They'll have an idea what they, what they think or that, you know, um, like I did one, I, don't, I used to have it up here somewhere, but um, the Knicks were playing the Indiana Pacers. Oh yeah. This is classic. And, yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, um, because that's what one of the players called them the Hicks or they call themselves the Hicks or something. So I did, I did the Indiana Pacers as uh, the Beverly Hillbillies coming in on the truck, you know, with the, the shotguns and the, you know, all the yeah. players with the different characters and stuff. And that was fun. And I had a little while to do that. So I, you know, I could really put some, some more time and detail into it, you know, which that's what I really like to do. I like to have time to do it. I really didn't enjoy rushing everything, you know, um, but you did what you had to do. You had to get a deadline. You had to meet the deadline, you know? Um, was there any piece you did, or maybe there's been a couple where you're thinking, I didn't, I didn't make this person look all that flattering. I'm not sure they're going to love this. Or, you know, you mentioned some of the ones that people really loved or were talked about, but was there ever a time where you thought like, I, I, I maybe didn't paint them in the best light. I'm sure there were. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I, you know, like I said, when you're on a deadline, you can't worry about it too much. But, um, uh, and I had a couple of times when I would draw uh, a black guy, you know, I caricature him. Like did Patrick Ewing a few times, I did these different people. And I remember my, one of my editors later on, I had this editor, Leon, a great guy, a black guy, and he used to get a little upset. He goes, you know, why does, uh, why does he make the black guys with big teeth? Or why does he do this? You know, so he was a little concerned about that. And I was concerned about it. I didn't want to, you know, I try not to make, put anybody in bed light. I try to just make it funny and whatever the, you know, features lend themselves to. But the, when I, the thing that really settled me down and, and made me feel better about it, I had a good buddy, you know, we had, there were, in, in the news, you know, the all races, you know, religion, everybody was there. So I had a couple of friends, black kid came over and he says, uh, and he was a younger kid and he goes, Ed, you know, you know what I like about your work? He goes, you make black people look like black people because, and that made me feel better that, you know, all right, I'm not, I'm not, you know, exaggerating to make anybody look, you know, like a stereotype or anything mm-hmm. like that. I'm doing, yeah. I'm doing what I see, you know? And, uh, and then Leon, eventually over the years, I actually did a caricature of him that he had framed in his office, you know, sitting up on a thing when he had, he won an award or something. I did a nice caricature for him. 
So he became, you know, a fan. And I gave him big teeth because he had a big smile. You know, yeah. he was a very smiley guy, you know. So so he, he understood that, you know, it's a caricature. It's not, you know, it's not a, you know, there's things, that, you know, these things you could do that were, you know, racist, but, you know, I never considered it that way. Yeah, I hope no one else did. And I had some some letters a couple of times. I think I did something. I did a couple editorials or these little side cartoons about OJ. And I got this, you know, some of these letters, people just, you know, like lace into you, you know, you're an idiot, you know, and <laughs> blah, 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 you know. But uh, it was few and far between. So, you know, uh, it was fun. You know, you got to, like I say, the next day is something else, you know. And then just take us through a little bit of the actual process, right? So you get this assignment that you have to do or you, or you have time or maybe it's on deadline. As you're, as you're about to make this creation, is it, is it kind of a very light hand sketch at first and then it comes to a computer to fill in the color? How does that happen? Well, it's, it's really evolved over the years. You know, when I first did it, everything was done by hand. So I did, you know, I'd sketch it out in pencil. I'd ink it, you know, to like sharpen the uh, outlines and things and color. Uh, not color, but I would use washes like the grays and, you know, to, to, so it became, um, it wasn't like a line, a line work they call it just black and white, you know, like, and uh, a half tone is, look, a photo where there's different tones, there's grays, there's lighter, there's darks, and never. So I did a lot of uh, tones, just washes, and I do a gray, a dark gray, you know, just to give it a little, a little body. And that was sort of the style that I, I sort of developed. And, um, so, you know, it starts off by pencil on a, on a board, uh, ink it in and, call, you know, paint it basically, whether it's black and white. So for years, it was all black and white. You didn't, there was no color at all. Um, and then eventually it became color. But then when the digital stuff came in, um, I started experimenting with that. And uh, I would do, I would basically do um, the, the art by hand on paper scan it in and then I would sort of manipulate uh I got something I could show you here if you want to see it sure um this was when uh John McCain was running against I guess Obama and this came out in 2008 it was the last debate that they had and uh my editor called me in this is the new side editor about sports and he said uh you know I want to do something on the cover uh about the debate so I came up with this and we, it was funny. We had like, I like to get things done fast. And he was that way too. So we're in the room with these other sub editors, I guess, or assistant editors. And the main editor is named Martin Dunn. And uh, I go, how about like, you know, last chance saloon. He's a gunslinger coming out, you know, fighting. Perfect. Let's go. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so that was it. I went home. I think I had like two days to do it. And this is what it, this is what it came out. This was in October. I don't know if you can see this. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's excellent. So, you know, and what I did here was that I drew him by hand, yeah. and I actually drew these, like, buildings. I sort of built it on the computer where I copied, you know, a board, and I moved it over and things like that. So that was one of the first times I sort of used – it's digitally done, but it's, you know, hand-drawn. So – and then eventually I started working on a Cintiq, which is basically a, an easel, a digital easel that I do everything on right on the easel, um, you know, but it's the same process. You, you yeah. do a sketch, then you start coloring it and, you know, but it was, you know, then you just hit a button and now it's in the office, you know, so <laughs> it's really come a long way where, um, 
even the old days when I did it from home and you had these old uh, like AOL lines or whatever, you know, to transfer, it would take like two hours for the art to get into New York, you know, <laughs> so slow. So um, now it's like, it's, it's unbelievable how fast things are, you know. Whether That's it was, we're doing. you know, the, the old style or, or the modern day digital, how do you know when a thing is done? What's that, what's that feeling like when it's okay, like I did it and this is, this is really good. I feel good about this. Well, first of all, you got to meet the deadline. So you have to have it done by a deadline. And a lot of times, especially when I was at home, I'd be working on something and I know when it's sort of done, you know, but I know when it's not done also. So I have, I know I, over the years, you sort of have this inner clock that you know how long you have to finish it, this and that. But once in a while, the editors would call me up, you know, they're looking for the, when's it going to be done? You know, I said, well, it'll be done if you stop calling me and I'll get it done. <laughs> uh, so, it, you know, you, you got to meet the deadline. So sometimes maybe it's not as finished as you'd like it to be, but, you know, it just, you work it out. You know, you just, I guess it's just experience. I don't know, you know, just get it done. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's, that's all you can do. Uh, because they need it by a certain time and they ha you have to have it. So that's well, let's, let's uh, take the, let's take the deadline part of it out. Right. And you're just going to oh. write, you're, you're just going to create something and you have time, right. they, you know, they give you a week or whatever. Right. 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 I, I, as you're working through that, um, then, then how do you get to, you know, when you have time, right. You're not, you're not up against the clock. How do you right. get to that feeling of I've done, I've done my best work here. I guess it's just that it's the feeling it's seeing it and saying, all right, I like it, you know, I'm satisfied with it. Um, you could always do different things to it, but you know, it's not, when you're in art school, I mean, I went to art school and I, I actually only went to one year of art school and I failed painting two semesters. So, uh, cause I had never had art in high school. I went to a Catholic school and I, we didn't have any art. I was my own like art student, I guess. And uh, so I went and I went to art school and I, you know, I had a, start painting things and I never painted anything um, with a canvas and oils or acrylics. And, but anyway, the one thing I got from that, and it's a, it's a famous, it's sort of a, a philosophy is less is more. So, you know, you don't want to put all this extraneous stuff in it. It doesn't, don't mean anything, you know, if it does, you know, so, you know, in a certain way, I, I like to have it as simple as possible, but with detail, you know, um, especially when you have time, there's certain details you work on maybe, have more time to get a better likeness of the of the characters, you know, um, and so that way, if I have time, I'll probably spend more time on the sketch to get like a finished sketch, so I know this is what I want. And then the coloring is sort of like tedious, you know. You just sort of, you know, if you have a real good sketch, you know it's going to look good, but you got to, you know, now then the color came in, so the color was was uh, added to that, which took longer, also, you know. Um, but uh, and then working digitally with the Cintiq, um, it took a while for me to, that's why what I would always draw and then scan it in and then sort of manipulate it in Photoshop, either change the color or do this background, whatever, um, to try to get my style into, you know, the digital, my digital work to look the same. And um, that, that was always a challenge. And, uh, you know, cause the digital stuff is, is so much, so much, so much more, you can ch change it so easily, you know, the background or you can move this around, you, t you know, you can manipulate whatever. So, um, 
it took a while to try to be satisfied with the the style, the digital style that would, you know, stay with me, you know, that my, my style. Um, One more thought kind of, kind of building off of that, right? So we've kind of talked about you're under deadline and you just know when it's done because the clock's ticking, it's got to be done. And then you have the idea of just the experience of knowing whether you have a deadline or not, what it is to be finished with something. But I'm curious about, I guess, the feeling of, of uh, thinking that something that you did is, is really good and you're really happy with it. And you've done a lot of drawings. I'm sure you could rank them one to 5,000 of, you know, the ones that you feel really good about and the ones you had to just get done, right? So if, if you think back on one where you're like, yes, like it's complete. And yes, I think it's really good. I'm really happy with this. How do you describe that, that kind of feeling when, you, when it all comes together? That's a good question because nine times out of 10, something that I think is really good that I've really put my, you know, my best and I think this is great. They're gonna love this. No reaction whatsoever, you know? And then I do something stupid and look quick. That was great, we love that. And that happens a lot, you know? And um, so you never know, you know, you know, I could, you know, I, I know the work I put into something, you know, I said, wait, I really took me a long time. This is, you know, I, you know, uh, and then um, most of the time that's what happens, you know? Something that I don't think is the greatest, my better, better work, because I maybe rushed it or whatever, that's terrific. So, you know, nobody, nobody sees it the way the artist sees it, you know? You, you see it, it's your work, and you notice things that no one else will ever notice, you know? So uh, that's basically, and that could be true for almost everything, um, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, so that's basically what, uh, so I can't say that, you know, this one thing that I think was great, probably no one else thought it was great, really, you know? Um, that, that is the world of uh, being, being a creative person so often, right? You, the thing that you think is a home run, you know, beauty is in, in the eye of the beholder sometimes, right? Even if you work so hard on it, you know, it's like you said, sometimes the throwaway thing, you know, you see it so, so much now on social media, right? People spend so much time to make content. They think this thing is going to be great and then nobody cares. And then it's the throwaway right. comment about something that goes off viral. Exactly, exactly. And, and you can't, you, you can't, I remember towards the end of, of my time at the news, uh, we had a new, uh, a new executive editor. He actually used to be the sports editor and he became the executive editor. And I remember him coming into the sports department and he goes, we need something to go viral. But you know, you just can't make something that's gonna go viral. You know, it's gotta be, you know, spontaneous, I guess, you know, you, you know and it's the same thing. You don't know what's gonna be, like that, I did the thing for Newt Gingrich. I had no idea. You know, they always said that over the years, a couple of articles were written about it and stuff, and that would went viral, you know, if it was in this day and age because of, you know, how the reaction got back in those days. That was like almost 25 years ago, I guess, 96, um, 95, something like that. So, um, yeah, so today they want things, you know, look at the newspaper. They just, the Daily News just left their, that is no physical office for the Daily News at all. They just, close it all down. Mm -hmm. um, so everyone's working from home. They were doing that during the pandemic anyway, but they decided to, they're not gonna go back to a physical office. So, you know, the newspaper business is not, you know, it's not, journalism's still there, but newspapers are not there. You know that, it's just, you know. Totally, yeah. totally different uh, yeah. change yeah. nowadays. You're exactly right. Little, right, right. And, uh, you know, and, and even when I was towards the end again, I 
over here, you know, young reporters coming up with stories. And goes, this is on Twitter. You know, this is, and they go, you got to have sources. You can't just rely on Twitter for your story. You know, it may be true, but you got to, you know, you got to research it and you got to get some sources, you know. But I don't know how, you know, if that's even, you know, still the way they do things. You know, everything is quick. You know, everything's fast these days, you know. Well, I, you know, talking about social media, I was curious about, about your stuff because I feel like it, it can give it a different life. You know, even, even things that you drew in the past, and I know you have a website and things like that, but um, a lot of your work earlier, let's say 80s, 90s, right, wouldn't have had that chance to go viral on an Instagram or Twitter. Has, has the prevalence of social media opened up people more to your work that maybe wouldn't have seen it previously if you didn't live in the New York area? Well, yeah, uh, one good example is, um, well, Frank Isola, who uh, he's on, uh, he's on ESPN. He does Around uh, the Horn, I think, and he does, yep. he also goes in for, um, uh, on a pardon, pardon the interruption. Right. Yeah. yeah, pardon the interruption. And um, anyway, so during the pandemic, he was, he was coming from home, you know, his, and he, in his background, he had, I had done this for the Yankees 100th anniversary. I did this long a dugout scene with all the Yankees from like, you know, Babe Ruth all the way up to like Reggie Jackson. And, you know, this was, I think in the nineties. So whatever the hundredth anniversary was, and it had like, you know, like 40 different Yankees there, you know, Elston Howard shaking hands with uh, Yogi Berra or, uh, or uh, Thurman Munson, you know, all those guys. And that got, you know, when it ran, it was, it was popular. And, um, but, for, but, you know, a lot of people, they reproduced it or produced it for them at work and they wanted copies. And Frank, got his copy it was like six feet wide and he has it in frame behind him when he's on the air when he's on uh, you know ESPN and he called me up and he says you know I'm getting a lot of these people I don't know where this art you know who did the art and where it came from and stuff and since I sold like maybe like maybe 15 to 20 prints of it you know oh, because nice. people from all around the country say my my father's a big Yankee fan you know I want to give it to him for this and that and so that's fun you know and it's not I don't make any really a lot of money on it, you know, but because uh, the prints alone cost like like close to a hundred bucks just to get it printed, you know. Now I could print it in one piece. In the old days, I'd print it in like sections on a on a little printer at work, but and just put them together, you know. But now I have a printer who does it, and they came out nice. So uh, that's one thing that never would have happened, you know, years and years ago, you know. Um, but I don't do a lot of work now, you know. I've doing done some stuff for. Uh, for the, when I left the news in, so now I've been out like five years um, when they laid a lot of people off. Um, but luckily I got a job with this uh, memorabilia company doing uh, caricatures and they, they made bobbleheads out of them. So they, oh, nice. the bobblehead, they, they, I did the art, they sent the art to China and they come out with these bobbleheads, like, you know, all the major leagues and things. And, but that was sort of like a little confining because you could, I couldn't really exaggerate them the way I'd like to because they were very sensitive you know they'd have to clear them with their agents and they'd have to clear with the league and things but it, it kept me it kept me working for about a year which was great um and now i do a few things i have a, a, my buddies are uh editors at nhl.com i've done stuff for them uh i got my old editors also there's a couple of guys at deadspin mm -hmm. i've done some work for them um so i'm just doing freelance when it comes you know um enjoying my retirement, I guess, you know, so. Uh, so are there, are there moments though still where, you know, even if you don't have an assignment, you just see something in the news and sports where you're like, oh, I would, I would draw that so well if that, if, if only asked. Well, the, you know, I, I said the only regret I had leaving the news in 2015 was that 
uh, Donald Trump wasn't the president yet. So, you know, imagine, you know, everybody has so much fun with that. You know, I mean, that's endless stuff. I mean, yeah. editorial cartoonists just, you know, go crazy. And I'm sure I would add a few front pages by now, you know, uh, <laughs> if, with his antics. So, uh, uh, yeah, you know, but I enjoy what I'm doing. You know, I do, uh, I'm getting into woodworking. I do some woodworking and, uh, you know, we got the two granddaughters, Michael's, Michael's daughters, and they're, they're like, you know, they're the greatest. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it was like a forced retirement, but uh, I'm 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 making the best of it, you know. Well, appreciate you sharing all this all this information. I know you know having having seen your work for years, it's fun to kind of hear how it how it came about and kind of your process for it. Um, the way that we end uh, all all these interviews, kind of three questions outside of your line of work and more about focusing on some positivity and some uh, somewhat negative times these days. First one, I'll ask you, and maybe it's some of the stuff you just hit on, but what are some things that you kind of do do for yourself right now so you have family stuff you have some freelance but it can be very mundane but something you just do for you yeah well woodworking i do a lot of woodworking and i do um i go i've been going to estate sales and you couldn't do it too much during the pandemic but you're doing it more and more now where you know you go into a place and i buy like old tools and like clean them up and sell them on ebay or collect you know put them in a collection and that's i enjoy doing that you know that's that's so much fun and like they say it's the the joy of the hunt is like you go to a place and you see this thing. And now, and now, you know, like when we first started, my brother-in-law Phil had done it for years. And um, I would buy, you know, it's, you go to these places, you get like these tools for like almost nothing. And you can sell them for like, like, you know, you can make good money on something, you know, you can make a big profit on some things, but, but it's fun. It's not about the money. It's just about, you know, fixing them up, polishing it, you know, uh, making it look good. And then somebody actually wants it, which is, which is cool, you know. Sure. And then what's, what's something you've done for someone else recently? Uh, for someone else. Well, I always, my mother's in a nursing home and my job is to keep her, uh, supplied with paper towels. That's big. Well, you know, I, I sort of take care of her, whatever she needs, you know, she'll call and, and, uh, cause I'm the only one closest to her. So, you know, okay. I'm, the, I'm the, I'm the one to, which, you know, now, and it's tough and where she is, it's it's good they've done a very very good uh they've dealt with the pandemic really well i think they only made one case or something and, and oh, it's a nursing home which is good you know yeah yeah uh last last one for you what's what's something you turn to for an escape what's something that's made you laugh recently well we have two granddaughters and they both are just they crack you up it's like it's it's amazing i mean uh uh anything, you know, it's just, it's just so, it's so much fun to be with. And unfortunately we can't see them the way we, you know, had been seeing them, but. Uh, That's excellent. Uh, Ed, appreciate the time. Great to, great to hear all, all about your journey. Thanks for uh, sharing some of your favorite memories. Well, no problem. And congratulations to you. you. You've got a nice career going there too. You know, you're uh, 